Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back, boys. 92nd episode in the headlights and right from the start, I gotta give big thanks to each and every one of you who entered last month's giveaway which featured Florida Panthers forward Eetu Luostarinen's game-worn and signed Bauer Vapor Hyper Light Stick. And yes, obviously, big thanks to Eikka as well for becoming part of the show with this gift. The Lady Luck ended up choosing nickname Carpaldinho as the big winner of the giveaway and the tweak has already been sent his way, so once more, congrats to him and I hope that I get to do these sorts of events in the future as well, because I want to pay you guys back for being a crucial as well as devoted part of this hockey clown show. But today's agenda will once again focus on the most recent NHL events and headlines and within the next 40 minutes or so, you will hear me talk about for example the Edmonton Oilers, who've had a turbulent start to the new NHL season to put it lightly. Same as the great whites from San Jose who broke records within the 10 games of the early season. And we even ended up seeing some drastic changes in Ottawa, so once again a familiar dish is heading your way in few short seconds, so... Let's just kick off the intro and head to our today's meat and potatoes. Without further ado, let's get go. Okay guys, you know that I hate sad starts, but that's the way to go here. Rest in peace Adam Johnson and most of all, condolences to his entire family and closest ones who ended up losing him way too early. You can say what you want about the incident itself, because I'm not going to go into details on what I think about the accident, but truly it was a freakish event that we never wish to witness again and most lakes around the world have already started to implement rule changes to prevent that from happening to anyone else after this. And unfortunately, experiences like these are usually the ones that force people to react, which is never the best outcome, and that goes even without saying. It was a heartbreaking turn of events, and I wish nothing but strength for anyone who are grieving Adam's loss, Because these types of incidents shock you the most and are extremely tough to handle given the fact that he had so much left to give for hockey, as well as the world, as a whole. So condolences to everyone close to him, and I hope that we don't have to start any more episodes like this in the near future, because we've now witnessed two tragic deaths within just months from each other. I mentioned this already when we learned about the passing of the promising Russian prospect Rodion Amirov that I hate to start episodes off with sad news, but I obviously gotta pay my respects. That's just the right thing to do, but as I said a moment ago, I really do hope that we don't have to kick things off like this for some time. But if we move past that, I mentioned in the previous episode that you should prepare yourself for a few off weeks thanks to some changes in my personal life and As some of you may have noticed, I didn't upload a new episode last week and I'm sorry for not updating you guys on that even though I said that I would keep you guys updated. But I haven't just played with my dick the whole week since first of all, I've been very busy studying for the new role each evening after work. Second of all, I also got to plan a surprise party for one of my relatives which was held last weekend. 
And on top of that, I also got to finish another project that's been in the works for some time now, meaning a rebranding of my video content on IG and TikTok. So I hope that you guys understand because my time has been very limited during the past few weeks. And it seems like I still have few tasks to complete before Christmas, after which I hopefully get to take a nice deep breath again. But I promise you that I'll try to stay consistent and try to bring you guys more content once the initial dust has settled on my own end. But that's that. We are here now, so my full focus is going to be with you guys. So just like I mentioned in the beginning, it's once again time to catch up on the biggest storylines from the NHL that have covered the league headlines the past two weeks. And how we are going to do this is by going over the aspects that have made the headlines since we last time talked hockey, and we will do that by a simple timeline, so if you listen to the previous few episodes, you should be right on track with what has happened in the past, and we can pretty much just continue where we left off then, aka the Shane Pinto Camling case. And first we are going to head to Always Sunny Florida where Captain Shasha passed Jonathan Huberdo as the player with most games played in the entire Panthers history with 672 games. And you guys know that in my opinion, on top of many, many others, he's still one of the more underappreciated players in the entire NHL. And while some have started to question that thought with the statement, is he that underrated if everyone talks about him? I still feel like the players themselves respect him much more than the press and frankly some of the fans so I'm not going to waver on my opinion and still keep him in the elite class of players that represent the top end names of the NHL. And while he may have not become like a full-on face of the franchise due to his subtle demeanor and flashy but preserved team first play style, once his career comes to its end, his number 16 will more than likely get dragged up to the rafters of the FLA Live Arena, and he'll be seen as one of the great leaders of this organization who led by example, as well as being one of the best Finnish NHL players that ever stepped onto the North American ice surface. So congrats to Shasha for his accomplishment, and I feel like there's still a lot he can offer for this team in the coming years as well, but looking at the way he has started this season with over point, Per game pace. And just as I got to praise the Blue Jackets for keeping their young guns on their lineup and getting them have the necessary reps, they decided that it was time for Kent Johnson to head to their AHL team Cleveland Monsters to show us how dominant he can be on the AHL level, and that they had decided to throw their entire lineup to the washer with the way they've been rotating their starting 18. Well, Johnson has already three points from two games in the jungle, so needless to say, his team more than likely ends up being just a search stint, but still, I don't know what's the grand idea behind this, because he isn't the only guy on the roster who is off to a slower start than what we might have expected. For example, their returnee, Alexander Deschier, has struggled offensively so far and has just three points from the first 13 games. And if I'm not completely off the mark, he went pointless through the first 10 or so games, so... With the way their management has switched around their lineup, he could find himself from the waivers or from the trade front sooner rather than later because, at least so far, his return in North America hasn't been filled with fireworks and fanfare, so hopefully he's able to redeem himself because you certainly don't want to end up in San Jose. That's goddamn sure. 
Dimitri Voronkov, on the other hand, seems to be playing himself to their top nine for good with his performances since the big Russian now has six points from his first eight games on the NHL ice and has looked just as ready as I was expecting before his transition from the KHL. Meanwhile, Johnny Hockey is still struggling with his offensive output and has just six points from the first 13 contests, so needless to say, the Jackets would need him to really step up his game if they even dream of finishing near the playoff spots at the end of 82 games. Ivan Provorov, though, has been a pleasant surprise offensively and has racked up a decent stat line of 9 assists from 13 games. In a Wallace defensive game, isn't anything that would welcome him to Norris conversations per se. It's been nice to see him find his offensive touch once again because that's been missing from his toolbox for a couple of years now. So all in all, I fully get why they are trying to spark up their lineup because so far no one in that starting 18 has been irreplaceable, but dude, realistically. Was it really necessary to send Johnson to the jungle this early into the new season? Honestly. And if you truly believe that, why wouldn't you just send down all your eligible top guys because it seems like they are prospering in the AHL. Even Yegor Shinahov, who is slowly dragging his ass closer to the bust label thanks to his underwhelming performances in the bright lights. I mean, everyone, including Nick Plankenberg, Trey Fix-Volansky, Luka Delbel-Belus, Eric Robinson, Samuel Gnasko, and now Ken Johnson are all shining in the A, so would it be just better to go all in with this mindset and make your farm team a juggernaut? because that seems to be one of your focuses this year. With that, at least you could win something, because by the looks of it, the new season will be just as awful as the one we just witnessed a year ago, in which you, by the way, played with almost a full AHL team. So yeah, I don't know what they expected from themselves heading into this year, but I can guarantee you that with the way they are operating, the team will have a new GM by the start of the next season, and some guys could be looking to exit Ohio if empty promises keep piling on their locker room benches throughout the following 9 to 12 months. And while we're on the topic of failing organizations, I don't know if this counts to that, but at least two teams this year have recorded historically low attendance numbers within the first 10 or so games of the season, and those organizations happen to be the Winnipeg Jets and the New York Islanders. And honestly, this news piece doesn't really surprise me since you don't have to tell me why we've seen a drop in the attendance in the Long Island because that team could even put the fucking Energizer Bunny to sleep with the way they play. And the crowds have slowly started to dissipate from the MTS place as the time has passed, so it's no wonder why some Jets fans are getting flashbacks to their previous relocation because this was one of the major symptoms back in the day as well. And if you're curious, the lowest recorded single-game attendances have been over 11,000 in both barns, so we ain't talking about empty arenas here, but this certainly is something to look out for as the time passes because we know the Jets' history and how they lost their NHL franchise for 15 years. Meanwhile, the Isles have just settled to their new home barn, so just wanted to throw this piece out there because we've heard some rumblings about another expansion franchise, but I would certainly focus on trying to retain current fans before starting to dwell to possible new hockey markets. 
Three former NHLers also announced their retirements within the past 14 days. And amongst that group of names, we find one extremely underrated centerman with historical NHL bloodlines. One of the most feared face punchers of the modern era. As well as a guy that has pretty much every possible hardware in his trophy cabinet except for the big one. A.K.A. the Lord Stanley. Paul Stastny. Zach Cassian and Jumbo Joe Thornton are the names in question and unlike last time, I want to spend a brief moment with these guys because I feel like despite not getting their names card to the Stanley Cup, they deserve their moments especially since some of you younger fans might have not been able to watch these guys during their prime years in the show. So like I said, Paul Stastny was as of now at least the last remaining name from the famous Stastny family tree whose roots date back to 1980s, when his father leaped from Czechoslovakia and straight away began to dominate in the NHL with the Quebec Nordiques. And like I mentioned, Stastny was, at least in my opinion, a very underrated two-way centerman who spent 17 years in the big league and ended up registering almost 900 points to his name within that span. He was one of the founding members of the modern Colorado Avalanche and after being signed by the St. Louis Blues in 2014 free agency, he ended up becoming more or less a journeyman who ended up also representing the Jets, Golden Knights and most recently the Hurricanes after eight years spent with the Avs. He was pretty much a fireproof 45-point guy throughout his NHL journey and what probably decreased his entertainment value was the fact that he was extremely sound defensively and because of it, didn't crown the top spots of the league scoring standings, but for a guy that was never seen as one of the fastest players on the ice, he clogged up quite a resume from the NHL and deserves his time off. There's no doubt about that. Jumbo, though, is a living legend within the NHL circles and will hands down get his jersey raised to the rafters of San Jose's SAP Center sooner rather than later alongside his longtime partner, Patrick Marlowe. And if you just check his profile on Elite Prospects, you can tell straight away that this was exactly what you would expect from a guy drafted first overall. One Art Ross, one Hart, All-Star team nominations from every league he played in, in addition to U20 World Championship, plus two World Cup and one Olympic gold to go along. 24 seasons spent in the NHL, 19 of those featured playoff action, not a big deal. 1,901 NHL games in 1,673 points is a total you don't see too often, so it's almost an understatement to say that this guy was dominant throughout his NHL career, and frankly, the newer fans of the NHL might not even grasp the fact how big of a star he was for both the Boston Bruins who drafted him, as well as for the San Jose Sharks who got to enjoy his services for 15 seasons. Absolute beauty of a guy who was loved in every place he played, now gets to sit back and just spend his retirement days between the Swiss Alps and the California Sun, so needless to say, you could have it worse, that's for sure. Although the Stanley Cup never found its way to his arms, but nevertheless, huge congratulations for all guys for tremendous NHL careers and best of luck for whatever the future ends up holding for them.
And while we're on the topic of legends, I might as well mention that on February 18th, the Pittsburgh Penguins will hold a retirement ceremony for the legend himself. Jaromir Jagr and his number 68 will be raised to the rafters of the PBG Paints Arena. And honestly, in my opinion, the number 68 should be retired league-wide just like 66 and 99. This event has been a long time coming and pretty much the only reason why this has taken so long is the fact that the HLS Wonder hasn't been willing to retire but now that he's no longer an active member of his hometown team, he has time to head back to Steel City and see his jersey being hoisted next to Michel Briere and Mario Lemieux. And I would even go as far as say that this is a prelude for what's about to come because the reality is that there isn't too many years left until we really start to wonder if Sid has played his final game in the bright lights. And you might as well throw in the mix Gino and Tanger, so I would predict that once those guys decide to hang up their skates, we are going to see back-to-back-to-back jersey ceremonies for these legends. So congrats to JJ68 for getting his night finally in North America. We all salute you. The real ones will get the reference. And speaking of Pittsburgh, their forward Andreas Jönsson, who was brought to their system this summer, ended up terminating his contract with the Steel City representatives and will return back home to Sweden, where he signed a three-year deal with the Sheleftio Aiko, who are currently a 500 team in the SHL and could use a first-line guy of his caliber to boost their offensive numbers when heading to the second quarter of the hockey season. So, unfortunately, he couldn't find his way into the Pens lineup this year, but the silver lining here is the fact that he now gets to showcase his skill set in a role that should fit him better, so expect to see big numbers from him in the SHL as he starts his next chapter on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. And since we are on a roll with our segues, we might as well continue to our next topic, which is linked to another Swede, more precisely Nick Beckstrom who announced last week that he would take a leave of absence due to his ongoing health problems. He will be moved to Cap's LTIR list and is not expected to return anytime soon, if at all, during the 23-24 campaign. So, unfortunately, it is starting to look like his days in the NHL could be numbered because he has missed so much time through the past couple of years. And since he ain't one of the youngest Italians in the league, Father Tom could also play its hand in this equation. So. If that ends up being the case, it could be seen as the first step in Washington's long and painful rebuilding process. And many former NHLers have often talked about this and how so many guys dream of just moving away from the sport peacefully once they have made the decision that, okay, I've got nothing left to give, but the cruel fact is that more often than not, injuries, illnesses, and what have you end up deciding their fate prematurely. One of the most recent great examples is Montreal's Carey Price, so this unfortunately is just the true nature of professional sports across the table in its effects on overall well-being of the athletes. And in Beckstrom's case, the major factor is the hip injury he sustained a couple of years back, which has led to multiple surgeries over the years and continuous health challenges on and off the ice. And like I've said a couple times in this show, I know something about long-term injuries and can tell you straight from the heart that they don't just take a toll on your physical health, but sometimes they eat you more on the inside. And since Beckstrom has battled with these symptoms for some time now, 
I hope that he's able to come to a conclusion that he's okay with at some point and is able to limit the injury effects so that they don't bother him once he decides to hang up his skates sometime in the future. So I'm wishing him quick recovery and the same thing applies also to Carolina's goaltender Frederick Anderson who was moved to their LTIR last week after it was announced that through medical testing they had discovered blood clotting from his body and will be sidelined until further notice. Currently there is no set timetable for his return which is understandable in his situation since if not discovered these conditions could lead to massive catastrophes so luckily the test found the clots early on and they can now start the right treatments in order to get the dame back between their pipes at some point. The Canes ended up signing free agent Jaroslav Halak to a professional tryout which was a bit surprising given the fact that they already have two guys signed to their NHL team in Ranta and Gajetkov. Albeit one good question if Ranta should even play in his current form but that's the reality and at least Halak now gets few reps under his belt which could lead to a one-year deal if not in Carolina somewhere else because he had stated earlier on this summer that he wouldn't be playing in the minors this year and would be looking to sign with a team that has ambitions to play him more than just a handful of times. So in conclusion, best of luck for both Northerners on their recovery back to full shape. But those weren't the only significant injuries since last week we also learned that Rangers star defenseman Adam Fox would miss some time due to a lower body injury he sustained in a collision with Carolina Sebastian Aho. And although his return timeline isn't quite in the air as with our previous two names, he's expected to miss somewhere around three to four weeks, which is a significant hit for the Rangers, who are currently on a roll and have won eight out of their last ten games. And yes, my honest opinion is that Aho should have gotten a suspension for it despite the fact that his intention certainly wasn't to injure Fox in the collision. But when you check the footage and see that he clearly tried to interfere with the skating path, it would have been called regardless and in this case, Fox just changed his angle by a notch which left his leg wide open for the collision and Aho at that point had no way of avoiding the collision itself. It was a clear interference, there's no questions about it, but if Fox would have just eaten the small bump, he would have gotten away with it with less damage cost and they would have been on the power play, but in this case, he tried to avoid the collision, which resulted in a worse outcome, so penalty worthy, no questions about it, and I would have even thrown a one-game sussy for it just because player got injured in the collision, and the hit would have been called regardless if Fox hadn't had juke before the contact happened. And speaking of sussies, we've seen quite a few this year, and Honestly, I might make a separate episode focusing on the current state of the NHL player safety because sometimes I feel like George Paris and his player safety crew has lost it when it comes to the suspensions they give out. Or in some instances, suspensions that get just thrown in the garbage can because of a good guy discounts. And a prime example of that is actually the Andrew Mangiapane case that happened just last week where he blatantly cross-checked Seattle's forward Jared McCann in the neck while he was laying on the ice. And if you've seen the clip, you gotta be in coma to not realize that it was a pure attempt to injure McCann while he was in a vulnerable position. Like, 
I can't understand how that kind of an action only gets you one game suspension. When you are clearly trying to do damage to a player that is in no shape to defend himself. Like, try to explain that to me in a way that I could understand it. Initial point of contact. Nick, slash upper back if you want to put some blinders on. And contact done by your stick with a full-on cross check. Mr. Paris, I gotta ask. Are you legally blind or do you have some under-the-table shit going on with some of the owners? Because if your first line of business would be to ensure the overall safety of NHL players, you wouldn't make Mangiapane an example case that clearly shows that these types of actions won't fly in this league, but you just decide to toss a teddy bear at him with a sign, don't do that again. Like, my opinion is that in that role, You can bow down to names on the back of the shirt or any other shit like that and have to show your presence to make sure that we won't have to come make you an example once the shit hits the fan and people start pointing fingers. So my two cents for George is that you tease your balls back to their place from your stomach and start watching the incidents without polarized glasses because if pats on the back and a finger waves are your main code of contact, I think you are sitting on the wrong seat, my friend, because the respect towards you around the league has started to fade away. And in order to get that back, you need to show that if you fuck around, you will find out to prevent things from getting out of hand, which is the worst that could happen under your watchful eye. But that's the player safe to rant for this week. As I said, I've been thinking about doing a sole episode focusing on that aspect of the game at some point in the future, so... Let me know if that would be something you would be interested in, because for some reason, while it is one of the most important background factors in the sport, it isn't on the front pages that often, even though my own observation is that more and more people have woken up to the fact that player safety and disciplinary actions around the league are not where they would need to be at this stage. So whether you like it or not, I'm more than likely going to dedicate an episode focusing on that aspect, and I'm obviously going to pick out some great examples of questionable disciplinary actions, but that will be the rant for this week, and we will move on to the final few points that will be highlighting our today's episode. And one of the more viral headlines from the past week was Prime Energy Drink's new brand deal with one of the league's biggest superstars, Austin Matthews. And before I say Anything else, I gotta tell you that I hope and pray that the NHL doesn't sell it so like UFC did back in January when it signed a multi-year deal with this fucking toilet water replacement brand. Because the possibility is there for it to happen now that BioSteel is officially off the shelves. And if the NHL wants to get back more name value after the BS debacle, I wouldn't count it out from the real on possibility, so... Let's just wait and see if my nightmares end up becoming true. And definitely don't get me wrong. This new partnership between AM34 and Prime is great for the sport because the brand is extremely heavily linked to the younger generations and that's the target market NHL needs to hit if they aim to keep growing the game. Although you could certainly have better role models to be the ambassadors of your product by steel. I see this as a great opportunity for the league, but at the same time, would hold back when it comes to NHL's full commitment to the brand itself, since we all know at this point that the product itself is a total joke and has next to zero health benefits, but if some people want to believe that, 
you might as well switch your daily Coca-Cola intake with that because I would guess that they at least have some electrolytes in that gill that might have some benefits, but that's pretty much it. Don't even start to compare it to the likes of Powerade and Gatorade. I'm not here to listen to any of that. So as a marketing campaign, absolutely terrific for the league and Austin Matthews as well. Not that he needs any more dollars in his pockets for being part of this pyramid scheme. And while saying that, in my eyes, the league now has way too much wagered on their previous failed sponsorship agreement that they can't afford to take another L in a short amount of time. So I highly doubt that they will take any major steps towards the league-wide deal because Prime's value seems almost as stable as Dogecoin's share value. So I'm not saying that it ain't possible, but good for Matthews. He was the right guy to get signed since he has connections all over and is one of the superstars of the modern NHL. It may be too early to start decorating for the holidays, but it's never too early to start your holiday shopping. Why not take care of it now before the crowds and packed calendars make shopping a total nightmare? Especially when you can get some of the best deals of the season well before Black Friday. You can shop Raycon products right now and save up to 50% off because their early Black Friday sale is going on now. Raycon first made a name for themselves in the audio space with products like their everyday earbuds, known for delivering high-quality and thoughtful features like a 32-hour battery life and a perfect in-ear fit for all-day wear and lasting comfort. And this past year, they expanded their entire business with the introduction of Raycon Home and Raycon Power Tech. Their 5-star reviewed Magic 180 cable allows you to charge iOS, micro-USB and Type-C devices 8 times faster with a 100-watt power delivery. Raycon is known for delivering high-quality and thoughtful features at half the price of the other premium tech brands. It's no wonder their products have racked up tens of thousands of 5-star reviews. To get everyone in the holiday shopping spirit a bit early, Raycon is currently offering 20% off everything on their side, with select products up to 50% off. So beat the crowds and save now, trust me, you do not want to miss out on Raycon's early Black Friday sale. Hurry now to buyraycon.com THPN to get 20 to 50% off site-wide. That's buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash THPN to score up to 50% off Raycon products. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Big decisions were made in Ottawa as well as the organization's new owner Michael Landlauer decided to relieve their standing GM Pierre Dorian from his duties and ended up replacing him with an interim GM Steve Steyos who was appointed as the new president of hockey operations just a couple months earlier. And this announcement came pretty much out of nowhere and stems from 2022 when the whole Yevgeny Dadanov trade saga took place and and Lauer rightfully questioned why it had taken so long for the league to investigate both the Pinto gambling case as well as this thing that dates back to 2022 NHL trade deadline. In the aftermath, the Sens are forced to forfeit their 2024, 2025 or 2026 first-round pick due to the mishandling of the situation at the deadline back in 2022. 
but they have the ability to choose which will be the year to do that as long as it is done within the 24 hours following this year's NHL draft lottery, which will be held sometime during next spring. So as a pretty big sense jock sniffer, the past month hasn't been filled with rose petals when it comes to their play, as well as off-ice news, that's for sure, but I have to say that I'm glad to see that their new owner seems to be a guy that keeps people accountable for their mistakes, and that is something the Sens have been needing to their big office for some time. We'll see how his involvement will affect the team's future, because there are certain danger zones that we need to keep our eyes on as well, but at least now it seems like he's clearly cleaning the table and letting the league know as well that this isn't the way things should be handled. And I fully get that because if I had just bought an NHL franchise and just months later, two different dumpster fires are brought to my desk. Yeah, I would be pissed as well. So all in all, unfortunate news for the team as well as its new owner. And one can only hope that the team starts to get its shit together or we might end up seeing even more changes than what we've seen already through the first few months of the brand new NHL season. And since we are already in Canada, we might as well stay there because next we are going to spend a minute talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs, Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. And if you listen to my season preview episodes, you should be pretty aware of my point of view of Leafs signing John Klingberg to their backline. But if you are not, my simple thought process was that what the fuck are they going to do with a blue liner that has no defensive game? and is known pretty much at this point for just his power play prowess. And the main reason behind that thought was the fact that I wasn't fully convinced by their goaltending, and especially defense since it wasn't as bulletproof as their offensive core, and featured some names that didn't possess elite defensive abilities, which was something they really needed, especially given that probably their best defensive defenseman, Jake Mussin was known to be out for the season already before his retirement announcement. So what has happened now is that the Leafs fans have chosen their next whipping boy, and it is their off-season acquisition number three. And to be honest, I would be really shocked if we ended up seeing him under a blow line past the trade deadline next year. So far? He's been a complete defensive liability and has just 5 points from 14 games, so his offensive numbers haven't even compensated for his defensive shortcomings this year. And like I expected, the Leafs fans have injected their teeth into him and have begun the deportation operation, which is part of the Leafs fan handbook. And the man behind his employment, GM Tree Living, has also been on the crosshairs for his moves in the offseason since so far, their other free agent additions, Domi and Bertuzzi, haven't quite taken off offensively, and Bertuzzi especially has been struggling to find the back of the net during the first quarter of the hockey season. He has only 6 points from 15 games and hasn't had an impact most Leafs fans were expecting to get, so fortunately their top guns have been nailed so far, and especially the smooth Swede, William Nylander has made Tree Living's life harder in Toronto each passing day by keeping his scoring streak alive, so seemingly the old challenges that have shadowed them in the past haven't disappeared anywhere, and they still have to figure out what the play here is going to be if goaltending and defense keep bending like has happened so far, and the big depth additions don't end up panning out like they were supposed to which could end up being a recipe for disaster that also leads into off-season and the departure of number 88.
So certainly not the start they were hoping for. And even the Ryan Reeves signing seems to be a total waste of cap space. So Tree Living's first few months behind the big desk in Toronto certainly hasn't been all roses and rainbows. So for his sake, I hope that some of the guys start pitching in like they are supposed to. And they start making their way towards the top spot in the division as Boston starts to drop back from the sole top position. Yes, I said it. Their current form is unsustainable with their current 1-2 center combo. Moving on to Alberta, and I would assume that this is the moment some of you guys have been anxiously waiting for, so let's not waste any more time and just start dissecting these two Canadian dumpster fires. Both the Flames and the Oils, 2-8 within the last 10 games. How in the fuck? Like seriously. Edmonton. You guys lost to a fucking beer league team for crying out loud. How you even managed to accomplish that? The Sharks had won just one game since the season got off until you guys decided that it would be fun to hand them another stack of pity points. Like, get a grip, man. Connor McJesus can't find goals to save his life. Both of their netminders might as well just sit on the bench because they've been useless so far through the first 14 games, and their depth sucks as a whole. Meanwhile in Calgary, Jonathan Huberdeau is aiming for the worst plus-minus stat in the league, They can't defend as a team worth the shit and can't figure out how to score goals. So, yeah, if you are an Albertan or just rooting for one of these teams, I'm quite sure you haven't enjoyed the shit sandwich you've been served that much. Edmonton's world-renowned power play has been nowhere close to last year's levels, while their penalty kill has been hot garbage so far with 70% success rate. And if you struggle to score 5-on-5, your goalies can stop a beach ball, and the power play sucks. You can find too much success, and that has translated to lots of frustration on personal level, and the Oils manning one of the bottom spots in the entire league. Their 5 million net minder Jack Campbell was already assigned to their farm team Bakersfield and isn't off to a hot start there either, so without questions he has quickly become one of the bigger buyout candidates of next year's offseason. And even though last year's rookie phenom Stuart Skinner has looked like a total vacuum cleaner between their pipes, so if they can manage to tighten up their defense and goaltenders keep on leaking pucks in like they've done so far, their playoff odds could be in question because you can only outscore the opposition so many times during the season. And if your only source of offense comes from the power play, your game isn't in a stable shape and that has really translated to their overall record during the first stretch of the new hockey season. Yes, their depth is still lacking, and I pointed that out in the season previews, and it's been prevalent within the first 14 games of the young season, but you can deny the fact that pretty much this same team took Vegas to six games in last year's playoffs, and were pretty much the only real challenger within their cup run, so the potential is still there, and they need to pinpoint their pain spot and start working towards changing the course before it's too late, because if this trend continues, they could be in for a long ride that is going to take its toll before the Hunger Games start once again later on during the spring. And while saying that, I could also see the situation in a different light since so far they pretty much just breezed their way to the playoffs in prior years, so 
Now that they've hit some real adversity straight from the get-go, it could work as a lever for future success because as we know, the most resilient teams in the NHL go through adversity and that is commonly accepted as part of the process. So, in the best scenario, this will only build the team up that much stronger and once we hit the elimination games in the spring, this team isn't afraid of adversity and will come on top thanks to their previous playoff experience and adversity they faced earlier on during the same season. So just keep that in mind while you watch this team battle through one of the bigger rough patches they've faced in recent memory. Ryan Nugent Hopkins has been a name that's been highlighted in the trade rumors that have obviously also presented some potential goal replacements for Gamble, but with that the Oles would lose one of their most vital two-way assets and a second-line center spot would be left wide open because it seems like that Ryan McLeod or Dylan Holloway are not quite ready yet to fill his boots in their top six. So a really rough start for the Oilers, who were seen as one of the most common Stanley Cup winners on many people's preseason predictions. So for their sake, I hope that they get their game intact and start pushing themselves towards the top spots in the league the closer we get to the start of the new calendar year. Breaking news, breaking news. This just in. The Edmonton Oilers have fired their head coach Jay Woodcroft and have replaced him with McDavid's former coach from Erie. Chris Knoblock, who was one of the top candidates for the Rangers' vacancy in the offseason. Great hiring in my opinion. He's done a tremendous job behind the bench on the AHL ice and had lots of hype around him. So hopefully the Oilers end up getting an extra boost from this change and start turning things around sooner rather than later. Woodcroft's value was boosted by their top two duo in my opinion and he got a longer lease from GM Holland than what he probably should have deserved so we'll see where he ends up next because some teams could see something in him due to him coaching probably the best partnership in the entire NHL. Calgary's game as well has been tough to watch this year and rightfully they man one of the last spots not only in the Pacific Division but also in the entire league standings. Surprisingly, Jacob Markstrom hasn't been god-awful this year and some might even say that he's kept them in games at times, so fortunately for them, their goaltending hasn't been their weakest link so far this year, but goal scoring and defense have once again become the biggest talking points in the Flames' media circles. Jonathan Huberdeau has continued his struggles and was benched for the entire third period just last week, which would work as a wake-up for the highly skilled Canadian winger. Meanwhile, despite having one of the stronger blue lines in the league statistically speaking, they've looked really shaky and have left their net monitors on an island more than a handful of times this year. Some of their call-ups have brought some extra energy to their game and for example Connor Zeri who have been waiting to break into their lineup for two full seasons now has gotten off to a hot start and has been one of the more visible Flames players on the ice night in and night out but the veteran core really would need to step up if they aim to evade any kind of retooling process and want to keep the gang intact for future seasons as well, which in all honesty seems like a dream at this point because Nikita Zadorov has already left his trade request on Craig Conroy's table, and guys like Elias Lindholm and Chris Tanev still haven't signed their extension papers, so if things don't start turning around soon enough, we could end up seeing more big changes in Calgary, which right now actually seems like the best possible outcome because 
They've been bashing their head against the same wall for a few years now without any remarkable results. So if we don't see them correcting their course before Christmas, I can promise you that the Flames will end up on the same list as the Islanders. That only features teams that I have zero belief in. They look like a team that is falling completely apart since the start of the 2022-2023 season. And if that was the goal, they are on the right path. But even if they weren't, it could end up being too little too late in order to turn things around at this point. So we'll see what ends up happening. But for sure, with that core, you shouldn't be struggling with the way you are. So either clench your ass cheeks and get to work or pack your lunch because there's only two ways to go from here. And I would guess that their front office knows what they want out of this team within the next 10 to 15 game span. And at this point, I'm happy to announce that the segues have been pretty flawless in today's episode because we are heading to the final portion of our today's episode and it will feature even more Missouri because the final team I want to touch upon is the San Jose Sharks, who have reminded me of a full-on beer league team, which I already mentioned during my passionate rant about the Edmonton Oilers and their start. The Sharks have been breaking records left and right with their horrific start and, like I mentioned last time, are heading for the best odds for the upcoming NHL 2024 entry draft. And a perfect way to make sure that things stay that way is by losing as many games as possible and so far, it's looking good on that front since they got off to a hot start and lost 10 straight games until they ended up beating the Philadelphia Flyers who became the first team in the NHL history to lose twice to a team that went winless through the first 10 games of the season because this happened also in 2017 when they lost to the Yotes, who were in a similar situation. They scored only six even-strength goals during that 10-game run, which seems almost impossible, but yes, indeed, that ends up being the fact of the day, and soon after beating the Oilers last week, they went on and got rinsed in back-to-back nights by the Canucks and the Penguins with a 20-3 goal difference. Last time that happened was back in 1965, so needless to say that this team has been eating shit for the first part of the season, and that is not expected to change anytime soon when looking at the structure of their current squad. And on top of all this, They had a goal difference of minus 42 after 11 games, which is worst in the league history. And now that it has grown to minus 46, it shouldn't take that long for them to reach the 50 goal mark. So I gotta say that I feel for their goaltenders who are getting their ass cheeks clapped on nightly basis now, which means that you can throw the idea of either of their netminders revitalizing their careers to the trash can because That surely ain't happening at least within the next 65 games or so. But just in order to end this episode with a good note, I have to mention that they ended up acquiring defenseman Kalen Addison from Minnesota next to nothing, so at least now they have their first line power play QB on their blue line if nothing else. And Addison gets his opportunity to play as much as he wants, so it could be counted as a win-win situation for both parties. And in order to replace the right-handed blue liner, the Wall ended up trading for veteran defenseman Zach Bokosen. And in exchange, the Bolts acquired Minis' 2025 seventh-round pick. So, while the return for Addison was almost laughable, meaning San Jose's 2025 sixth-rounder, at least they got something in return. But definitely the situation and his one-sided playstyle dictated the return they got. So, 
I'm glad that they were willing to give him another go on a different organization because he still has some potential left and would have just rotted away in mini behind more well-balanced defensive options. So good luck for Addison. That's definitely something he's going to need. And kudos for Billy G for being willing to part ways with him even while getting absolutely nothing for his rights. But when he got his style like Brock Faber standing in front of him on the depth chart, you gotta play ball and hope that he doesn't end up biting you in the ass the Wild are already looking strong enough to break into the real big stage in the coming years, thanks to the arrivals of names such as Marco Rossi, Brock Faber, Matt Boldy, and Jesper Wallstedt. But that is pretty much the set I had planned for today's episode. Like I said, my time has been extremely limited through the past two weeks, and more than likely, it's going to stay that way until I've passed all the necessary tests and gone through the full training process, so... I'll try to keep you guys informed about the possible changes in the schedule and I hope that you understand if the episodes don't end up being as long as they've been for some time now because I really want to try to bring you guys entertainment each week and if I don't have the time to prep these episodes as I normally would, the length and content end up suffering unfortunately but I hope that we get back to the normal routine as quickly as possible because I want to make these episodes entertaining for you and especially this show to grow even more so in order to do that. I gotta stay consistent and bring you guys as much value as possible each time you stop by to listen to me ramble about topics surrounding the greatest sport in the entire globe. So, I hope you enjoyed because your support is priceless to me and I appreciate that you stop by once again. I feel like I say this every time but that truly is the case believe it or not. The following two weeks are looking really rough for me time-wise thanks to upcoming tests and educational trips away from my local office so I hope that I can manage to put out new episodes each week, but currently I can unfortunately promise you guys anything and I'm really, really sorry for that, but I'll make sure to update you guys on the situation through my social media. This time, I won't leave you guys hanging, you can count on that, if I don't manage to find time to put out new episodes, but if you don't hear anything from me, expect to see new episodes appearing on Spotify and rest of the streaming services as usual. But thank you so much for joining me. As I said, I appreciate you taking the time. And if you want to see the new video, look for the episode clips. Head to show's IG or TikTok page. There you can find the new video layouts, which I've been working on for quite a few weeks now. Now though, I'm signing off for today. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. Ooh, right.